Episode 124 of the Talking Bollocks podcast brought to you by Go Loud. It's me, COB. It's me, Terry Flower. And today we're joined by Pat Short. How did you switch on the culture there? Yeah. <laughs> I had just for I'm hearing the Dublin accents there, so I just have to give you a bit of my own. Yeah. <laughs> when you come in, you're like going Pat Short. Now you're like Pat Short. Pat Short. <laughs> Pat. Uh, right before we got yeah. back, you gave us a fact that's at the blown eye mind, and we could probably do a whole podcast on that yeah. alone. And it's, you know what I heard at first that shocked me. So we were just talking about the Real Madrid match with Man City, whatever the score is going to be. With. But um, yeah, I I don't know anything really about soccer, but I follow Real Madrid a bit because my cousin works out there with them. Doing what? She teaches the players English. She teaches them English. English, yeah. At Real Madrid. She's been doing it for over thirty years. Yeah. So she's she would be she would be very good friends with what's his name. Oh, the fellow Sedan. No way. Yeah, and I met I met Mary. I know Mary for years. Like you know, she's oh, way older than me now. She's an English school actor in, in in Spain in Madrid, and I met her in New York. I was doing a show there. She brought a lot of cousins along uh, to the show, and my young fellow's with me in a Real Madrid jersey. And she says, "Oh no, we can't have to bring you over and meet the boys." I, I said, "What are you talking about?" Mary? I knew she lived in Madrid, and I said, "Well," she says, "You don't know what I do," and I said, "No." And she says, "I teach the players English," and the reason she would have been good friends with Zidane was he was with the juniors at one stage. Remember that? Yeah. 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 The youths, and they would be the guys coming in that she would predominantly be working with. She worked with them all, you know, for the interviews and all that kind of stuff. Guys come from different countries and stuff like that. So. A temporary woman teaching the lads. Mary Maloney from Las Grey. <laughs> teaching the, the lads in Real Madrid English. That is That mad. could be the best fact we've heard on the podcast to date. <laughs> that is the maddest one I've ever heard. But Pa. Give how, us her number, we get her on next week, <laughs> And to Dan the following week. Yeah. How's things? How are you keeping anyways? And great, yeah. yeah. Be, be busy. Mad busy since things kicked off again, you know, because it's just, I suppose, I suppose when you go from a dead stop to back to work, but then films are all, the whole country's gone mad making films at the moment, the mm. TV shows and all sorts of things. So I'm lucky enough to be working on a couple of projects like that, you know. And, mm. and then myself and my daughter were touring away with the live show, doing comedy show and touring. So that was going great all over the country. And we're just finishing up this week with the last of the tour, a year and a half of a tour now at this stage. A year and a half? Yeah, yeah, turning around the country all over the place. So it's been good, yeah. Unbelievable, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Right, well, Pat, we do a thing in this podcast called Zingers, yeah? Yeah. It's an either or, or a would you rather, or Lovely. something like that, yeah? Lovely. And people sent them into us, so we got a couple sent into us here this week, right? Right, right. So I have to ask you, would you rather have eyes that can film everything, or ears that can record everything? God... That's a, that's a tough one. That's a very good thing, to be honest. It is, actually, because, yeah, you'd love to see stuff, but if you don't hear it, <laughs> you, you know. Yeah. Like, you'd love to be able to hear back a concert. Would you, yeah? yeah? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, I'd probably hear things more so than see. I, do, I wouldn't like to be given the option, to be honest with you, but, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, like, I started off life as a sound man as well, a musician, so... Just listening to stuff to me sounds like God. I, I don't. I wouldn't like the choice. <laughs> what are you picking? I go with ears that can record everything. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know why. Yeah. I'm trying to think why is it holding them up? Because you know when I don't think it's one or the other. I don't think it's 
But you know when someone says to you, like, you want to see what happened and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came down here and then he fell down the stairs and then he got up and he done this and you're like, that's hilarious, but like, you're trying to visualise it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like, if you think about it, radio is much more creative in lots of ways because you listen and it's like reading a book. You make up in your own mind what the situation is without having to see it. Yeah. You have to visualise it yeah. before the audio. So you create it in your head. Yeah. And I think if you hear something, then you create the, you know, it's like dreaming, isn't it? You know what I mean? Whereas if you're seeing it, it's, it is what it is. Mm. I think you're hearing it, it'll be good. Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> it's getting very philosophical, isn't it? <laughs> and then there was another one sent in there as well. This is a bit of a strange one, Pat. Right, yeah. yeah. Would you rather be allergic to your own sweat or allergic to sunlight? <laughs> <laughs> that makes no sense whatsoever. Well, uh, yeah, you get some come <laughs> We're at the bottom of the barrel here. <laughs> you can pack, see yeah? you're scraping for me. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I don't know what you do there. I mean, allergic to the sun, sure you'd be burnt. You'd be burnt alive. I'm allergic to it anyway. And your own sweat. See, you got all sweat. It's a bit stupid, isn't it? Because you can sweat in the gaff, like. Yeah, you yeah. can wake up sweating. Yeah. You can wake up sweating, you just swell out then, you know what I mean? I'm sweating in my trousers as we speak. Motorbike trousers, yeah. Oh, stop. Like, you take sun, like. You live in Ireland, we're not going to get that much. Exactly. Yeah. Fresh. Actually, sitting there, hoping and praying, but I went. Going out with an umbrella on. <laughs> yeah, but that's my singers. Have you ever got a singer? No, I haven't got any, but uh, I like the, the, the hair of wherever. The record. Yeah, and, uh, uh, it still has me splats trying to even think about it. And we have one that we ask every guest yes that. we have to ask you go on right we haven't asked it in a couple of weeks so it's been a while they are pissing the shower <laughs> <laughs> of course I do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've often done worse <laughs> good luck we won't get into that but we'll stick to pissing yeah but uh, anyways yeah right listen we'll jump straight into you Pat what we do with every guest yeah, is yeah. take it back to the start for us yeah? yeah where are you from what was life like growing up for you well, I'm from Turles and Tipperary, and sure, I grew up in the Midlands. Just was a bleak enough old time, I have to say, the 70s uh, slash 80s, like a teenager in the 80s, but I do remember the 70s and that. And the country was fierce run down and everything, you know what I mean? Now it was great crack, but it was mad, you know. And there's a sense of madness, I think, in, in like, there's madness everywhere, isn't there? Mm. And in, in rural Ireland, in, in, in provincial towns, it's fairly mad like you know uh, and, and rough lads are always baiting the shit of each other you know what I mean you think that's only happening in Dublin much <laughs> <laughs> worse happening up there I can be sure of it uh, you, know, you know what I mean so like it was great fun I, I grew up in a family of 11 kids slash 12 I have a stepsister so no telly in the gaff back then Pat there was a telly at the start yeah <laughs> yeah it was weird well, just don't seem to get that <laughs> I get that joke no 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 telly in the gaff there's a load of kids you can tell there's no oh, yeah. there's only one thing different <laughs> you want <laughs> my old man was a traditional musician you think he knew the rhythm <laughs> <laughs> he fucking wasn't very good we had an old black and white telly and we'd only one channel and we used to get the Lukeside bottles you know Lukeside and you get the coloury paper wrapped around it and you'd stick it to the to the screen and you'd think you had your colour TV but it's <laughs> that's big brain. Yeah, yeah. Well, to be very like watching uh, Big Brother now, you know, or or uh, one of them. We all really all fake hand. It looks like that, <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to color. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you had a big family growing up. Yeah. What was that like? That was great. I mean, it's funny. You don't. You think a big family is mad, you know, like ten kids in the house, eleven kids. And anyway, there's never that many in the house at any given time because the older ones were going off to college, and you know, there was some, maybe eight or nine of us really was all that was there. But it's good crack. It's good fun. And it doesn't seem like a big crowd. Mm. You know, I, like I have only three in my house now. 
And yet when everyone's in the house, it seems busy. But Jesus was a lot more than that of us, you know. And it just, I don't know, people, you just, I'm sure, look, I suppose like going up in any house, you go out, don't you? You hang out with your mates and everyone's hanging out with their own mates and there's nobody in the house then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the tea and that, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, what was it like in school, Pat? Yeah, which one? <laughs> <laughs> I kept moving around the schools. Um, school was, actually, it was the same, it was bleak. You know. See, I came out in the 80s, mid 80s. And there was no work, there was nothing. Like It was absolutely depressing. And fellas, everybody in my class went off to maybe Holland or Germany, uh, America as well. Not much Canada, not much Australia. That hadn't really kicked in. And I remember when I started touring with John Kenny first, we'd started doing some gigs in Belgium and Holland and places like that and Manchester. You'd meet more fellas you went to school with over there than you would at home. You know, it was yeah. mad. It was mad. So yeah, so was, so school was, actually, I hated school, you know. I didn't, I didn't really like it at all. I couldn't wait to get out of it. And I can talk openly about it now because all my kids are out of school. So, <laughs> you yeah. know, your kids are in school and you have to be going, ah, no, school's very good. Yeah. <laughs> you should stay in there and get the most out of it, me bollocks. I <laughs> wish I should have left after third year. <laughs> yeah. Not be all, yeah. yeah. But uh, you said you went on tour with John. How did you even get into that? How did you, how well, did I, got, that I, I got, I got, I, I first met John was with a brother of mine, Tom. He's, uh, he was an artist, uh, photographer, and he was doing photography for, different theatre companies and people like that. And he was doing a cover of John's. He worked, John had been working with a theatre company and then he, he was going out on his own solo and he did this song called Spansel Hill, a reggae version of it. It was huge at the time. And Tom had done the cover for it and got to know John quite well. And uh, John came down to Turles one uh, summer to stay with Tom and I was starting, I was playing with a blues band at the time. I played sax one. So we got together, had a bit of a cracking session. Then I went to art college the following year. And met up with John and started doing a residency with him on Wednesday nights in Costello's in Limerick. Anyone from Limerick would, would know Costello's. It's a great joint. And uh, that kind of escalated into me kind of nearly dropping out of college. I finished out the year but didn't want to go back. In. And then there was a sound engineer with John, gas character from Dublin, hilarious guy, Keith. And uh, he went off to some new romantic keyboard player guy came into from London came into the tour of Ireland and he was a huge fan of his so he just took off following us yeah I told you to tour John around the country <laughs> and uh, John was stuck for a sound man so I stepped in and then that that was it I was with doing sound and lights with John for about four years before we started we were always writing having the crack I jump up and do a sketch you know we were always messing and it kind of got to the stage where we were doing more sketches on stage than I was behind the sound desk. So it kind of made sense then to get another sound engineer in and for me and John to become a double act. And that's kind of how it came about. Yeah. Uh, you know, the whole thing. It was kind of very organic and happened over about a four-year period. Yeah. And then that's when you were like, hey, we're onto something here. Yeah. Well, what happened then is we got, we got a, like, we actually got a break in America, New York. We started working over there and we were gigging there for like nine months of the year. And, and how did you manage that? Over there? Well, there was, it's a place called the Irish Arts Centre in New York and yeah. they're very good to Irish artists. Like, I mean, and, and they're actually part funded by the Arts Council here in Ireland as well. So if anyone's listening and they, they want to break into the New York scene, they're great people out there in the Irish Arts Centre. They've got a fantastic new theatre, great setup. And they're always looking for new acts. So we were one of the acts we heard about this. Uh, Jim Sheridan was involved in running it at the time in Nyhern. So we had we got a gig out there. And when we were gigging there, then there was the McCourt brothers. You know, Frank McCourt and Manny mm-hmm. McCourt. And they, Angela's Ashes. Angela's Ashes, yeah. They'd done a play called A Couple of Blackguards, which was actually the precursor to Angela's Ashes. It was about their growing up in Limerick. And uh, that was hugely successful all across the States, that play. And I think that's what gave Frank the kind of idea to write the book. 
But we we were we were gigging over there at that time, and they were very supportive of us. They got us into other theaters across America and everything. And, uh, so we they opened up a whole all the doors because we were Limerick. They were Limerick. Richard Harris was around at the time, knocking about and a few more. So there was good strong support for the Irish guys over there, you know, mm. in the theater world and that. So we were yeah, we were doing great over there, and then we couldn't get off the ground here at all. Just couldn't get it. Why was that? I see. You you got to think you're going back to the early nineties and two guys from Limerick writing their own material like. Not a chance. You wouldn't, you know what I mean? You wouldn't get a theatre anywhere would give you, let you even rent a place for the night. They wouldn't consider it. And there was no comedy clubs. There was, so there was, so the only place we used to play was at, at, at discos before disco or something. Or there used to be these rooms where you'd go down the country, maybe in Banner Beach and all these venues, Mayo and Kerry and places like that, where they'd have a huge, they'd have a couple, three or four thousand people coming out for a night in this place in the middle of nowhere. A big ballroom with someone like Lightning Strikes Band from the North Plain or some band, Century Steel Band from Coventry, some of that. And then they'd have a chicken supper room where you're you going to get the chicken supper to fulfill the license. And that's where we used to play the comedy gigs. <laughs> it's fucking awful. <laughs> that's mental, that is. What made us even stick it out then, doing it over here then? Well, you just, we were just, we were having the crack. We were young fellas. Like, I was only 20, 21. And we did, we started in theatres in America. We got theatres in America and we couldn't get off the ground here. The bail bucked in Dublin, near Randall, which is gone now. That was the first, what was called, pub theatre. That started out, and then John Clears and Kilkenny was the same, and they were like a little room at the back of a pub, and they kind of doing theatre. Christy Moore used to play there, all sorts of people played there, you know. So there were there were kind of cool venues, and then we had a very good friend in Dublin, Morris Cohn, who who uh, he just said, look, he loved what we were doing, and he's come to the Bail Buckle all the time. So he underwrote Andrews Lane for us, and we got the week after the theatre festival, which nobody wanted because mm. everyone's pissed off a theatre that stage they've done three weeks of it so you get the venue for none so we took that venue and if it didn't work out Morris said he was going to sign a cheque he just wanted to get us into a theatre and we got the late late the week before so we flew back from New York did the late late and the next day sold out the whole run and it, that was the start of it was it that big back then the late yeah late. well if Gay Byrne said yeah you'd sell out in a minute it was ridiculous like I mean he used to he was very fond of us he used to come to all the shows and he'd literally come on opening night and he'd be on the radio the next morning saying, well, my God, I was at the Unbelievable last. Oh, my God, down in Tivoli. And he used to love that, that venue and the whole lot. And the phone would go crazy, literally, the whole next day. And we'd set out weeks, Brilliant. not days, Brilliant. just weeks. That's the power he actually had. He, yeah. Had, yeah. Yeah, and it was different times too, you see. You know, mm. I mean, there was no kind of, no internet, none of that kind of carry on. There was, radio was the big medium and late, later He was legend in the country anyway. But he did have that power. There's no question of it. It was incredible. Mm. And that really kind of started our career in Ireland. And know. see, when you're gigging in America and in New York particularly, is that just literally the Irish people living there? Or no, the Yanks it, as well? The Yanks as well. Mixed, especially when we used to go to the Midwest, out in St. Paul and places like that, there was all Americans. Sometimes yeah. you'd have no Irish at all, maybe. I mean, we did a month in a theatre in St. Paul. We did really good business. We were there for a month. And I think with six Irish people in the month. That's mad. This is mad. But, like, for example, the Jewish community are huge theatre goers in New York. Mm. So they'll go to anything. They're amazing, uh, the Jewish community in New York. It's huge. But they also, they're very involved in the entertainment world. And you could have shows there, like, with no Irish at all, just New Yorkers, and especially the Jewish New Yorkers. They're they fantastic theatre goers. And they kept us alive. <laughs> yeah. How do you go about then getting into films and on the telly as well? Like, Obviously, a lot of people, I wouldn't be the only one who would say this, but a lot of people's first time ever seeing you would have been in Father Ted, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, it, it was funny. That was my first TV show to do. 
Father yeah. Ted. I did another show called Gorton and Clune and RT with Tommy McCardle involved. Actually, did that before Father Ted and Polly McLean was in it, actually, funny enough. So Father Ted came about, Graham and Arthur were casting and they were aware of us as comedians and they were aware of Tommy Tiernan was starting to come on the scene and Ard Lohan, you know, all the different characters and, and they would have known uh, Dermot from way, way back. So we got auditioned for that part and it was funny, it was a small show, like... Yeah, it's huge now all over the world. But when we were shooting it, it was like unheard. Of. The first year didn't go down terribly well. It wasn't until the second series that it caught on in England, especially with kids and everything over there, and it became huge. So the third one was absolutely massive. But the writers didn't want to do any more. And as it turned out, Dermot died the last day of shooting yeah. on the third one, so there wasn't going to be any more anyway. You know, mm. but it was it was funny. That was my first kind of venture into film slash TV. I, I did a movie then following year with Brendan Lisa and Mia Farrow. I think it was Brendan's first movie. And, and that was a big and a big movie as well for me to get. I was only 25 or something like that when I did that. What was the film? It was called Angela Moody Dies Again. It was a kind of art house film. But yeah, and it just kind of, it kind of just one after another after another until Garage came along. And uh, that was a serious role I did in a movie. And that changed things for me then with directors and stuff. And yeah. suddenly I was starting to get a lot of attention from abroad. Like now with the Banshees, I've been offered a few movies in Italy and, and America and I've done a couple in the North that were definitely from the Banshees, you know. Yeah. See me and that and all the Oscar nominations and everything else, so. What was it like filming the Banshees? Because that's literally at the take of the whole world by song. Yeah. Like it's... That's the biggest thing I've been involved in. It's incredible. Yeah, but yeah. it's like the biggest thing that's happened in yeah. film. Like not yeah, just yeah, in yeah, yeah. Ireland, but like in general. Like I know. nominations that they have at the, at the Oscars. Nine at the Oscars, yeah. Do you know, like it's... I, my nephew works in Tokyo and he sent his mother a picture of my sister of me on a huge big billboard in the street in Tokyo. <laughs> Which is mad, you know. He, like, he, another friend of mine was out in South America and he's he Argentina. He got a... Big, huge billboard outside the cinema as well for Banshees. So it's all over the world. It was weird. It, like, I, I worked with Martin Broadway in West End and everything. Like, he's amazing, you know. I'd never done a film with him. But I knew what he was like to work with. And everything I've worked with him has been. Mm. We were the most nominated show on Broadway in the Tony Awards. Nominated for all the Olivier Awards as well in London and the West End. So everything you do with the guy tends to be... Everything he touches, yeah, the gold kind of thing. Well, he's talented, you know. Yeah. And then I end up doing this is the first film I do with Martin, and it's nine Oscar nominations, you know. It's, yeah, it's mental. It's mental, yeah, yeah. It was, it was mad, but it was great fun working on it because Colin Farrell is a funny guy and a really nice guy. Mm. I'd never worked with him before. I've done about eight movies with Brandon, he's a great crack. I'm sick know. of him at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give me someone who let me work with the young fellas. I know he's like, I know you'll always want to work with Brandon. He's just such a lovely man, great fun, though. You know, it's great sense of dimment. Uh, and Kerry Condon I hadn't worked with before but she's a tourist girl she grew up in the same street as me so I, I kind of knew all beyond her background now and Barry I'd worked with uh, on, a, on a film before on Barry's first film I worked with him on that so it was and John Kenny of course from The Unbelievables was working on it as well and DP and the gang so there was, a, there was a great we all knew each other and everybody had done some of Martin's work before whether it be the films or the theatre so we were all kind of I suppose handpicked by him to be there because of that and it was great fun Jesus, yeah, any of those films that you're off out in the west of Ireland somewhere for months, you know, yeah. you tend to do a lot of films like in Dublin or something where everybody goes home, the crew and everybody, yeah, because all living in Dublin, there's no crack in that, you know what I mean? Whereas you want to be off on an island somewhere, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen a, a tweet about when the film came out, 
that like it was a load of people in America that didn't realize it was a, like a, a period piece. It was set a hundred years yeah, ago. Yeah, like, yeah. And a load of people thought I didn't know. Just, they thought that, it was that modern day. now. Yeah. <laughs> modern day Ireland. You know what I mean? Ah, she's not talking to us. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that. I heard that. All right, that was kind of funny. Jeez, but it was it was great. It was great fun. Mm. You know, you know. Oh, you yeah. tell everybody that's what it's like once you go past the M50. <laughs> yeah. but in Dublin it's the 24th century then, just go past Kilbegan yeah, yeah back to the point then you know you mentioned you, you got a serious role in Garage yeah. yeah but before that why do you feel like you started getting jobs after that and start getting work after Garage then do you feel like you weren't respected before that no, I, no it's, it's not that you weren't respected I wasn't known to be honest with you was. yeah you know I'd done lots of films and, and lots of short pieces that was my first lead role in the sense that the, the movie was hanging on my character. You know, I've, I've I actually, I've only done one or two since like that. It was incredibly well written and it won Best Art House Film in the World that year. We won in Cannes, won all over. So it suddenly, it, it was on the radar, if you know what I mean, in LA and, yeah. and in Cannes. So there was a lot of people kind of interested. In, they all want to meet you after that for different things. You might not be suitable for them, but they want to meet you and see, you know, that's what it was. So yeah, that's like, I ended up working with John Borman after that, you know, did, he did his last movie. You know, I just, just others as well. There's some great directors I got to work with, which is brilliant. Mm. Mm. What's your favorite thing you've worked on? Janie, I don't know. Um, like I've done loads of, like I've like to see there's different things, you know. I watched Guard the other night. Have you seen that film? Yeah. Ah, oh, Jesus. Like I was in that and I knew, you know, you read the script and you know it never does. So it's nice to give a bit of distance before you go back to it again. Yeah. And I swear to God, I laughed throughout the whole movie. Except for my wife watching it, you know, and I just, more so than I ever did when I saw it first. It's a real go back to it. I was talking to Liam Cunningham about it. He's, he's in it. He's amazing. Met him at the Iftis the other night and we were both saying the same. It's a movie you can go back to and really enjoy, even though you're in it. Because sometimes when you're in stuff, <laughs> and when you're in stuff, you're always looking. I don't know you the same if you listen back to the podcast. You listen out for something you said. You go, oh, just why did I say that? Yeah, <laughs> why did yeah, I do yeah, that? Yeah. You know, whereas nobody else notices it, only you. And yeah. and that's the way it's like watching a film. And I think when time after a year or two, you forget what you did wrong, and you can actually enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, but in the middle of all that, with the films and all, you had a, a number one in the country. Yeah, yeah. So. My missus is actually from Wexford, right? She asked me who was coming on. I told her, I said, Pat Short. She always says to me about the Jumbo Breakfast Roll. Yeah. She says, you haven't lived until you hear the live at the Plowing Championships. And I swear to God. That's right. The fact that I'm saying this, I'm saying this on a podcast now, is really making me cringe because I can't believe I'm living with somebody who is proud of that. You know what I mean? Like I always say, the best concert I've ever been to was Coldplay and Crow Park. It was absolutely yeah. phenomenal. And she was like, ah, oh, well, Pat Shorts and Jumbo Breakfast Road, <laughs> Plowing Championships, no six good break. I did it at the Plowing Championships. Was it with Hector or was it with, I can't, I think it might have been with some radio show. Jeez, the tent filled up. It was like, it's like a rock concert. <laughs> you were number one in the country. I know it's, no, it was, it was huge. But at the Plowing Championships, it was apeshit. Yeah. Honest to God now, and I, I, was, I was only ever at Plowing twice. In my life, I never went as a caterer, but I could see the attraction to it. It's have you ever been to it? No, I swear to God, see that? that's my idea of like hell, you know what I mean? That's where you go when you haven't quite done bad enough, but not good enough. They put you there for a while, and I'm like, oh, You should go, man. It's honest to God, it's great. That's like Disneyland for coaches, isn't it? It is, yeah, playing championships. It's Coachella for coaches, it is. <laughs> 
How does it come out? Do you make that song though? The song with the song? Yeah. I did a sketch years ago with the Unbelievers about a sweet shop. And it's just like, uh, how much are two of them? One of them and two of them and one of them. And when I was living in Castle Connolly, I was writing a new show and I had to, I'd always kind of, you know, you get up around nine or eight or nine, whatever, drop the kids to school, come back. Then I hit the shop, grab a litre of milk on the way into the office from the garage. At the time they were building the motorway. So... The place was full of high-vis jackets. Yeah. And jeez, if I got it wrong, I was on the coffee break. So you come in and there's about 40 lads there. Normally the crossroads garage, that there'd be nobody in there. There's now 40 lads in high-vis going, two sausage, two rasher, one egg. Yeah, no, black foot and white. Yeah, where's the sauce over there? Where's, you know what I mean? They were shouting. <clears throat> and that's going back to whatever, 50, 20 years ago now nearly. So it kind of came into my head, like, remember the sweet shop and if you're stuck there. So there's that kind of thing with the song. And I was doing a character in the show who was a builder and he was part-time singer at the weekends. Um, so that's how the character came about singing the breakfast roll. And it was purely for the show that I did at the time. Um, but it ended up then on, on the late late and it just it went viral before viral was a word yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, because there was no, I don't think there was any internet. When I recorded it, there was no downloads. It was still singles. Mm. So, and it was because it was, the show was coming out before Christmas, you couldn't get time to make or press the tapes or, or the CDs or whatever. So we had to go to Germany to get it done uh, in a two-week period. And it was Sony was the recording studio. So they were able to pull strings and get a slot in the German uh, print to press. It still took two weeks or three weeks. And I thought by the two weeks, this, this isn't going to happen. Because you know where the momentum is gone? Yeah. You know, and, and uh, it hit the shops and bang, it was crazy. It was, uh, it was like, it was the biggest selling single of all time in Ireland. That, yeah. nuts. It, it was, was nuts. It was one for like six or seven weeks or yeah, something. And yeah. now six, like when it came out, it was and number it knocked, one. It also knocked uh, the hips don't lie. <laughs> Shakira. Yeah. Shakira yeah. knocked yeah. her off the number one position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the bit I like the most about it. <laughs> <laughs> the hips don't lie. <laughs> was in the movements and everything. In the soggy trousers. <laughs> soggy bottom boys. Yeah, great so, for them. Pat, you mentioned earlier about doing the show with your daughter. Yeah, fake. How does that come about? And well, that was a kind of a lockdown thing situation. She finished drama school. She was finishing up that year. She had to finish online the last month or two. And uh, she was heading off to London with a couple of girls from college. You know, the usual, that age, do auditions over there and try and get it break into the acting scene and that all stopped nobody could travel anywhere do anything so we were sitting out in the back garden and we're kind of like you know look we're both comedy writers and performers and so we might as well be doing something to this. we're sitting there drinking all day so uh, we did a bit of drinking and a bit of comedy <laughs> and we filmed a few sketches out the back and they got a lot of traction which you know we were putting them up just for the crack but they got a lot of traction and then we got asked to do the, the comic relief show that was normally in the the uh, the old tree or whatever, but they got a televised version of it that year, and it was the, you know so we we did a sketch for that and that went down really well, and we got asked then to do a sketch for RT for New Year's Eve show, and out of that then we were kind of thought look we're getting a lot of attention on the internet and all the rest, uh, so let's do a live show you know if you're up for it. Some of the kind of characters are the essence of some of the characters that we'd written in the garden. We brought them into the live show. We brought some new stuff to it as well and created kind of a dad and daughter type scenario. 
where two characters were doing were kind of going through the embarrassing moments of their life in some respects, you know, between a dad and a daughter. But it, it was great fun doing it. We're, as I said, we're coming to the end of the tour this week, which is great. You know? So that's, if you have any more plans to extend it, I don't anymore. No, we're writing a new show. We're hoping to open it in October, November. That's the plan at the moment. So I'm going off doing a TV show on a, another project. Faye's doing another rock and roll project, being a presenter on something. And we're hoping to get back together in August, September to write for maybe two, two and a half months and put it together. We have some ideas going at the moment. So I've seen you talking about who the next late late show host oh, yeah. <laughs> And you were like, oh, I think they should pick someone who's like probably a comedian or something and hasn't really got anything else going on. Trying to just... <laughs> no, it wasn't about me at all. Do you know what happened there? I was walking into the races and uh, the journalist Co- cobbered me, cobbered me, cobbered me. Hollered you. Yeah, she she was taking the piss, said, well, should it be a comedian? And I was going, well, why not? And I said, like, look at Jimmy Kimmel, look at, you know, Jimmy Fallon. It's all comedians in America that do do their monologue and everything else. And Richard Colbert as well. And I actually like that style. But I just think that the late, late, I think they're going to do it. I think it needs to modernise because it's the same format for like 30 odd years or so. And this is now an opportunity for them to do that with somebody and to, you know, give it that kind of Graham Norton style, which is edited. It's a bit like Tommy Tiernan's show, which is a fantastic show, but it's not live, it's edited, you know, mm. and, and that's the way all the American shows are the same. And it sharpens the show, speeds it up a little bit, and it cuts out all the loose bits, which happen, you know, you, yeah. you know yourself. Sure, you'll probably get five minutes out of this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? And, and uh, I was just reading the papers, if there's any truth, that Patrick Keith, he looks like the person. Yeah, looks I like he's the next. Did you I, see that? Yeah. I think he's good. Uh, I know Patrick, and I, and I think he would be a perfect fit for it. In the sense of his energy and his quick wit and he's an interesting guy. Yeah. There's a bit of depth to him as well. I've seen the book, he stopped taking odds on him. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, well, there was some like there's... They've done that a few times now, but But, haven't they? No, like they won't take any more bets on him. You can bet on anyone else. But do you remember at the start when I first came in, who was the... Clareborn. Clareborn. The whole odds locked as well that time. Did Did they? they? Yeah, yeah. They locked before and then it just came out that she's not. Yeah. And I was like, it's going to be me and Calvin. I was convinced. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were on the, if you went on to some of the bookies, we were on the. Were you at it? Yeah. We were on it, yeah. Now we were like 275 to 1, but we were there. Worth a euro or two, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> there was people. I get it back off of you afterwards. Yeah. We were acting up bollocks with people. Like, yeah. Saying, well, but people are actually betting on it. I was like, don't be doing that, you mad punch. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> you looking for yeah. the money back off us, but I seen. <laughs> Because over the weekend, Clareborn ruled herself out. Yeah. And someone else ruled herself out. Yeah. And they were like two of the favourites. And then, uh, yeah, yeah. that's when I heard then, I was like, the Pash Hort fella is looking the fucking. <laughs> he's looking good now. He's, he's coming out of the stable. He's looking way in the back Pash Hort each way there for, for, for the running. How is he getting his hair cut more often now? He's sharpening himself up in a suit. But, uh, you know, so Pat, like, you are big for the unbelievables and yeah. things you've done throughout the years. But, do you know, with the way things are going, especially with modern comedy and then when you look back it's like you can't do a lot of stuff what you would have done back in the day do you ever worry about that you know with the characters that you're playing and stuff yeah I know what you mean and I look at some sketches we did in the past mm. and you'd never get away with it now yeah and I think that's I don't know I think do you ever worry about coming back to bite you no, no oh god no never never everything's of its time you know yeah Um. I mean if you look there's like I remember once someone told me they loved the program called On The Buses and 
Oh God, the childhood was watching. The dad used to love it, never done. I was like, hundred percent. What the? F-? And it was an old BBC program. Bang. So I looked it up on YouTube and saw an episode. I was just like, wow, love. And it was all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, yeah, oh, nice pair of jugs there, love. And you want holding two jugs, <laughs> that kind of thing. So you'd never get away with it now. It's that kind of of the seventies time. Yet at the same time, it was what it was. You know. Yeah. You know, it's it's like going talking about the. I remember Lions Tea ads were taken off the air because they had. It wasn't Lions Tea. I think it was. They had minstrels, black and white minstrels, cartoon characters, but it was seen as kind of racist. But yeah, it's still, and I don't understand why it was. I, I, I personally don't. There must have been a reason for it. There must have been some reference to something or that that's just passed me by. I'm not saying it was wrong to take it off the air. I'm just, I don't know. I don't have an opinion on it, to be honest with you. I just don't know why it was taken off. Maybe that's the reason. Do you feel about comedy in general, though? Like, uh, Tommy Turner got an awful lot of flack that time about racism. Yeah, and that wasn't funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I I love Tommy. I think Tommy's seriously funny. I just didn't think yeah. that was funny. I just thought, yeah. Jesus, Tommy, you should have seen that one coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's woke comedy clubs and all now. Is there? Them, yeah. No. Yeah, there's woke comedy. Not in Ireland, Jesus Christ. And what was on there? There's woke comedy there, clubs. It's just laughing. like, no minorities get slagged on that. Like, oh, okay. so does, like, not that every joke and minority has to be the butt of the joke, but someone always has to be the butt of a joke somewhere. Mm. So he'll get it. And in a way, you could always pinpoint something down to an underlying kind of discrimination, really. Like if you would have put the joke here, you'd be like, oh, you're picking on Terrence because his name is red Terrence. Hair. Or he oh, has red yeah. hair. Yeah. Or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but you see, I think it's okay to slag yourself off. So, for example, the Irish slagging off the Irish. Uh, you see in America, the, the African-Americans slag off themselves. It's something terrible, you know, and uh, it's funny. You know, mm. it's funny when you're slagging yourself off. I think it's when you start directing it towards other people, minorities or whatever, then it's not funny. Then you're in trouble, you know, and probably rightly so. I think I've seen something as well where Joe Rogan was doing a non-woke comedy clubs or something like that as yeah. well. So, like, yeah. if you go in, like, you can't get offended. I, I don't know what it is. I just think there's a lot of mad I'm confused over it I'm like, hey, who the fuck can we slag <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I get it as well, though. Some, some <clears throat> comedians, obviously, just go at a minority. Oh, look, I'm, I remember the days when the Irish were, if you went to England mm. uh, and the clubs to be, like, outright racist jokes about Irish people. Mm. You know, about Paddy this as if you were thick. And, do you know, and... The joke was you're you're thick or whatever or ignorant, and that wasn't funny. Yeah, yeah, it was very funny back in the eighties and the seventies in England. You know. Yeah. Um, so I think it's no harm that that style of comedy isn't there. I don't think there's a place for it to be honest with you. You know, it, you know, across the board, whether it be trans or not that I've been woke, I just don't think it's funny. Yeah, yeah, I get where I'm coming from. There's a lot like if you remember the SNL sketch for yeah. the Banshees. Where they were like pretending to be drunk and all, and you're like, that's that's lazy. That's lazy. It's just that's, that's lazy. It's not funny. Not offended, that was just bad comedy. Yeah, though, no. yeah, yeah. It's not offensive. It's just bad comedy. But I feel like now where everything people separate the two of them and be like, no, you're not trying to be funny. You're trying to be racist. Well, no, yeah, yeah. comedian I, on stage are trying to be funny. I think you're you absolutely have to right. Spend that yeah. part. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I think you need to differentiate between what's racist uh, or or what well, uh, sexist or whatever, and what's just lazy. Yeah, yeah. And shite. Yeah. And talk about it for what it was. Which but is, I, I feel like if somebody's on stage and they're making jokes, yet yeah, they might be a bit out there, you kind of have to... You've got to run with that a bit. Yeah, you, you kind of have to going. give them that yeah, allowance. I, mean, I will look, agree. Look, they're making jokes. Mm. Yeah. But like, how do they live their lives outside of comedy? Are they racist? Are they sexist? How do they live their life? No, they go about their life in a normal way. Yeah, yeah. 
like you have to separate the art from the reality. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, I think agree. people try too much to get hung up on it. And in a way, there's a lot of comedians that lean into it. They know I'll say something controversial, <coughs> you'll share it everywhere, and I'll just go about my day because you're giving me free publicity. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but Ricky Gervais came out and said himself after that he supports the trans community and sure. like had like proof of stuff yeah. and all, and I was like, you have to justify it now. Yeah, do you know what I mean? But in the in the show, he keeps on going back to it's comedy. This is just a joke. At the end of the day, look, I don't even agree with some of the like some of the jokes are so far out there that I was like, oh, I don't, I can't even laugh at it because I'm like, oh. <laughs> but some of them are. But comedy is subjective. It is. Well. It is. Again, yeah. Like, absolutely. 100%. Like some people will enjoy it and some people won't. But it's mood. A lot, a lot of comedy's mood as well. I mean, yeah. I've seen comedians that are incredible, and I wasn't in the mood to yeah. see them, and I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. And then I've seen them other times, and I think it's like, they're the best person I've ever seen, you know? Yeah. I think, I think of the guy's name in a minute, anyway, but an English comedian, I saw him in Limerick years ago, and it was a dreadful show. And subsequently I've seen him, and he's just, I, he's my favourite comic. Yeah, you know? I've but, had that a couple of times as well, and you know, I went to a gig before, and I seen this comedian, and I swear to God, he was unbelievable. Now he wasn't a big name, and then, a few months later, he was playing again. I went with all my mates, and I was like, lads, aim for the treat now. <laughs> and he died of death. He, he died of death. And they were like, Are you oh. for real? And I was like, lads, I swear to God, when I seen him, I was crying the last time. And now yeah. he's up there, and he absolutely, oh, he died of death on the stage. Are you going to have bad nights? Mm. Do you ever have any bad nights yourself? I'm not too bad. I, I've had them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, yeah, 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 yeah. What's that like? Oh, it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> but I've gotten a tick neck since. You know, when I was younger, I used to go into a shell, like, you know, and, like, never want to see anyone or do that ever again. Now you just go, that's a bad night. Yeah. That didn't go well. Yeah. You know, and I'm gonna, I know tomorrow night will be brilliant. You know, but you're not going to give up now, you know. Yeah. And then sometimes it's the audience, you know. Like, we did a show recently. I'm not going to say where it is because I don't want to... Be the thing is, you do, with a comedian, you do your same routine every night. Do you know what I mean? People sometimes think, God, stand-ups are amazing. Like, they just come out with it. They don't. They've got shows and routines, you know. you got to work the gag and it's about the timing and all the rest. And when you can get that rhythm with an audience, it, there's nothing better. It's amazing. Get them laughing, banging with the next joke, catering with the next... Come on, you know what I mean? So this show we were doing recently and the audience were just looking at us like that, seven phase. And there's gags we knew worked. You could have the place falling asunder the next night. They were just staring at us. Yeah. Like and they came to the interval, and I was like, oh man, this is just the two of us in the dressing room. Go, oh, what's going on out there? <laughs> this is crazy shit. Oh, we still have another half to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And one of the crew, I was backstage, and I said, oh, I was fucking terrible out there. And he said, oh, it'll be grand. They're all gone to the bar. He said, give me leave me now for five minutes in the bar. We're going. We got a standing ovation at the other night. <laughs> they were howling in the second half. Yeah. It was like two different audiences. Now, there was two problems. Number one, they didn't have enough drink in them to start with because of the area we're in. <laughs> the other one is they didn't understand our accents because of a different part of the world, you know. So it took them a while to tune in. And once we got through the second half, it, they, they had a few drinks, tuned them in, and we had one of the best second halves ever. I don't know, was it because it went from the floor up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was pure shite in the first half. But it was, I, I like, I haven't had that in years, that yeah. kind of reaction. But it was, I think it was the accent was a thing. I always say stand-up comedy is the hardest job. It has to be that. I know at the top level, the highest level, the best comedians in the world, for them, it's kind of not the hardest job in the world anymore. It's routine. They know what hits. They know the time and all that. But I think on the come up for any comedian oh, ever, yeah. The only way you'll know if a joke is bad is by doing it in front of a crowd. Yeah. 
So you have to go out and fuck her up to kind of go, oh, don't do well, that. But that didn't work. Yeah, yeah. It's the only job in the world where I think you like you can fuck up in every job and, yeah. and recover. But I think that you kind of have to fuck up. You have to go out and look like a dope. I used, a to, do, uh, yeah, I used to do a funeral show and, uh, on my own. And it was based around a funeral, but I used to have a coffin hidden on the stage. And I'd bring up four of the lads out in the audience. They wouldn't know what to do. And then I'd pull off the drape. And, and it was amazing people's reaction to a coffin in a theatre or a hotel room or whatever. It was like, oh, Jesus. You know, they, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but but the first night I'll never forget the first night I did it I didn't know if they were going to go with this what was going to happen and I needed them to get out of the room because there was a procession with the, to get to the interval so if they didn't go with this the fuck am I going to do oh, <laughs> and I'll never forget the relief and the euphoria my, you know the endorphins flying around me when we pulled it off and I worked a treat you're brave the next night then it doesn't matter because you yeah. did it before and you know you'll harass them into doing it but the first night was always like Jesus Christ You'd be in ribbons after it. <laughs> you would, honest to God. It's a bit of a mad one, as well. Yeah, but they're the best things that you do when you don't know that the audience are going to go with you or what's going to happen. I think they're the most creative things you do. Yeah. Because you're really pushing yourself. It's out there. Yeah, it's really out there. It's the there. best way to learn, yeah. Yeah. And, you, and when you go out and do those things, first time I ever pulled someone out of an audience, there's a problem when you, when you deal with an audience member. If you go for them, you can't do anybody else because that's the person. Come on, Jimmy, up out of there. And if Jimmy doesn't get up, you can't turn around someone and say, Jimmy, come up. Because yeah. <laughs> you've already labelled him as Jimmy. So you got to stay with that person. And you got to, if they don't go with you. You have to get the rest of the crowd to urge you. Got, yeah, or, 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 or you got to be creative. So I had a guy one night in Kilkenny. This is as true as God. And I don't know why I did it. Stupidly, I did it. I always go for someone on the outside because you can grab them. So there's a fella, he just looked odd inside the middle of I was, right, I was doing the teacher character. I said, Shani, what's he what doing there? Something, Shani, Shani. You know, he was like, he just sat there. Like, I said, okay, Shani, out. Come on, out of there. Come on, out, out, outside the door. And he wouldn't move. Now, normally somebody would get up, you know, the teacher kicking you out of the classroom, you know. Shani, out, out, Shani. I can't. Shani, if, if you don't come out of there, I'll go in and I'll rip you out of it. With that, the fella beside him cut him. He was blind. Oh, he didn't. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I said, that's it, the two of you out. <laughs> I swear to God, I'll never forget it. I was starting to panic inside me going, fuck, this guy isn't even fucking reacting to me or nothing. Like, he's just sitting there like that the whole, and he, was, he wasn't even really laughing at him. And so when his friend grabbed his arm, he realised it was him. He started roaring laughing then realised that because the, uh, there was a little bit of, the audience were getting a bit, <gasps> I'll never forget it. There was another fella I grabbed one night. He took his leg off. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God. He had a prosthetic leg and he couldn't get comfortable in the seat. I yanked him out of the seat and he fell over. <laughs> and it was another night. <laughs> I was on for my. <laughs> and I, I pulled the fella out. And he fell over. And I got the other fella up next. And he fell down on top of the tree and him around the crowd. And I was going, what the fuck? <laughs> and I looked over and there was a row of zimmer frames along with the wall they were part of a community centre <laughs> to see the shop I never saw the zimmer frames they got into their seats and they kind of hobbled over hobbled in, and someone placed the zimmer frames away because they couldn't move so when I pulled your man up he <laughs> I swear to Jesus and the fear of me because I go what the fuck this thing is kicking off it's fucking tree tree oval is on the floor I don't know what the fuck is going on here <laughs> I tried to get the others to the audience to pick them up and tell them to cop onto the cells and cut off the drink and stop it up <laughs> and then get out of there <laughs>
<laughs> so stop pulling people out of cloud pie. You learn. You I learn know, but it's, pie, just, yeah. it's it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good well, to tell. Oh. Pat, we don't even know how to follow that one up. What's it like when you were going on tour to start with the unbelievable sports going on tour with your daughter now? It was a lot more drugs and drink back then. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot more acceptable. Yeah. I know. It's funny. It's actually equally as good crack, you know, because I, myself and John, I was only young fella. Starting out with John, like 19, 20, 21. John was 28, 29 around there, so 30. So we were good mates on the road. We were having crack. Like we used to sleep in the back of the van and everything and do gigs and do mad stings. And, you know, then as things moved on, it got touring, got more intensive and bigger venues and all this. I suppose with Faye, I'm doing bigger venues. We're doing the Olympia and places like that. I only seen that. So there is a bit more luxury, <laughs> you know, in, in dressing rooms and that. Some, some places. But it's, it's really nice being on stage with somebody else. Like I did nearly 20 years since the Unbelievable. It was 18 years, I think it is, on my own. And then suddenly I'm back on the stage in a dressing room with somebody else. So we're having the banter with each other backstage and that. And even after a show, when you're traveling, you're back at the hotel and having a bite to eat or a pint or something and going, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. So it's nice. It's really cool. Yeah, it's great working with Faye. Yeah, I really, really enjoying it. Sounds, sounds good, crack. And you're sitting here and you're pairing motorbike bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> motorbike bottoms. I've never heard them, I've never heard them called that before. What are they called? Oh, trousers. <laughs> There's a pair of cowboy boots on over <laughs> them as well. Don't be saying that. <laughs> You're going on a big tour. I am, yeah, yeah. I drive with a bunch of lads and lassies called the Blue Knights, and they're kind of retired serving guards, retired guards, and, and PSNI. And uh, we've, I've been with them now nearly 10 years, I think, almost, hard to believe. And we every year there's a big conference on summer rally, so we head off. And it's, it's an amazing trip. Like, I just look forward to it. And of course, with COVID, never, we haven't done it in a couple of years. So this year we're off to a place called Constanta in Romania. I have to get the bike shipped out to Budapest in Hungary. And some of the guys are driving out there, but like it's too long. I, I've, I've only got three-week window. You'd want about five or six weeks to drive out there and drive back, you know. So yeah, it'll be... it. Look, I love the whole thing about being on a motorbike and the freedom of it. It's actually a hard one to explain, but a three-week trip like that is what you need because... You're driving a bike, you get tired, want you know, but when you're doing a journey where you're heading cross country through different countries and borders and that, and you're packing your bag and you're heading off and it's just seeing, eating food, seeing things that you never see. But after about a week, you get in tune with your bike, which is an odd one. And you really get to handle the bike. Because even though I'm that bike for 10 years, you just don't ride it every day of the week and it's it's odd. But after about a week, you get into it. And honestly, the second week onwards, it's just... Honestly, the best. It's like a really cool experience. You're making me want to do that now. Yeah, no, no, you, 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 it, it really is. And we're going, we're, and we, we know cops from Germany and Poland and different other countries from being at the rallies every year. Lads in Ukraine as well, actually. So we'll be meeting up with a lot of them along the way. We can, we tend to meet some of the guys uh, in different countries as well. I mean, and then they'd ride with us. So there could be up to 50 of us. Head to, and there'd be over 2,000 of us at the rally then. So it'll be three or four days at the rally and then head back again mm. through Serbia and Bulgaria and uh, Hungary and that. So be a couple of interesting spins on it. I'll yeah. come back to you when I when I finish and I'll tell yeah. you all about it. <laughs> You're heading down the Gordie straight from here. Yeah, I got to get the bike down there to the Overlanders people. They're the company that transport bikes around Europe for bikers and that. Yeah, that's yeah. what, they take about 40 minutes to get the Gordie on a bike, I, what, 20, 30? 20, 15. Yeah. 15 on a bike. <laughs> Pack yeah. him into us and he wanted to know, can your bike get clamped? Because I was like, where did you get parking? How much was it? And he's like, I wouldn't pay for parking on my bike. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we're going to find out now next week. Can you clamp a bike? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we let us know. Right, Pavian, do you want to plug? Where else you're up to? No, I, like I'm doing a TV show with my camera this summer. If we haven't filmed it yet, it'll be out in the autumn, I presume. And I'm really excited about it. We're working with Irish artists, musicians all over the country. Do four four one hour and it's all about best songs of Ireland and played by some of the best artists in the country, up and coming artists. And we'll jump up breakfast show gonna be in it. I I hope so. <laughs> 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 yeah, I hope to get my dad into it. My dad's ninety three and he's still playing music. He's Is an amazing he? musician, yeah. He's a really cool head, uh trad head. So I'm hoping to do something with him, which would be kinda cool. But yeah, no, listen, it's 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 going to be a great show. I'm very, very excited. I'm very nervous of it because I have to play a couple of different instruments on it and sing a bit as well and that. So it's kind of, I'm thinking of bringing a mandolin with me on the trip. <laughs> Drive the band's mad on the bike trip over there in Bulgaria. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm, no, I'm, that's like, I, I'm, I'm finishing a project with Netflix on Friday and, and then that project and be the next one. So that's, yeah, it's exciting. Go. Are you allowed to talk about the Netflix thing that you do? Oh, well, the Netflix thing was, I, I won't, I'm not doing much in it, but is it, I don't know much about it in the sense of it's a comedy series set down in County Cork and it's it's funny when I got the script first I was thinking it was about a murder in Cork West Cork and I thought oh, Jesus is it your woman the French mm. you know but it wasn't it's not so it's about a crowd coming over to do a podcast about people going missing and yeah it's, it's comedy it's the first scripted drama that the Obamas did which is interesting so they set up a production company when they finished up the gig with being a president and they've done a load of documentaries and docu stuff and this is their first scripted drama comedy so my boss was uh, Barack Obama there for a while <laughs> <laughs> so busy times ahead Pat yeah but your mom was busy you know like we're going to write your show then then the tour will start and no doubt there'll be two other films or something before the end of the year to come Hopefully, in yeah. you know yeah, yeah. Uh, I just finished the Christmas one there did a Christmas one with, for Sky there recently did a bit in that and did a bit in another one I got to work with Pierce Brosnan this year which was my big buzz I did a movie with him and uh, Aaron Jay's just sitting in a dressing room with 007 himself like <laughs> You'd be pinching yourself, you know what I mean? Yeah. I felt kind of cool too as well. You know? <laughs> <laughs> nah, I killed Pat. Nah, we're confirming that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, passion. Lads, lovely to talk to you. Thanks for having yeah, me. Thanks, thanks for coming in. Nice one, lads. Thank Take you. us out there, Kino. Boom. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app. The hip knocker. Go down, go down, go down.